0: The South African parliament voted last week to steal white farmers' land on the basis of race and redistribute it to black South Africans. The motion was brought by the radical left Economic Freedom Fighters Party, whose leader Julius Malema has called for South Africans to, quote, cut the throat of whiteness. The land theft was supported by the late Nelson Mandela's own African National Congress Party, though presumably it wouldn't have been by Nelson Mandela himself, leaving international onlookers to wonder if South Africa has just destroyed itself. We will discuss with Lauren Southern, who has spoken to these very South African farmers in her new documentary, Farmlands. Then, speaking of colonial revolts, the Boston Massacre on this day in history. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. I'm not going to talk about the Oscars today. I am not going to talk about it. You can try your best. I'm not going to do it. Uh, Andrew Klavan, as you may know, uh, told me that I had to watch the Oscars this weekend in his stead. Uh, Well, he sipped a martini that was... tempered with olive juice and my tears and he really enjoyed that I talked about the Oscars a little bit on his show and also on Fox News this morning and when you do a hit on a morning show on the East Coast when you do it from the West Coast you have to wake up very early you have to be there at like 2 a.m. or something like that so I went. I did that we talked about the Oscars at Fox and then I came right back to my apartment and do you know what I did I jumped right into my cozy bowl and branch sheets and it was so wonderful. It made it all worthwhile watching the Oscars, listening to Jimmy Kimmel's stupid, tedious, tired jokes, if you could even call them jokes, watching the whining and the screeching and the the random lapel pins, they didn't even know what lapel pin to wear anymore. Then they gave a trophy to a famously accused rapist. So, you know, there there was a lot to, but I got into my Bowl and Branch sheets, baby, and that made it all worthwhile. Bowl and Branch is a wonderful sponsor because they help keep the lights on and because they make a wonderful product. We are never going to agree on any, everything, but I think we can agree that we can all use more sleep. I, you know, last night I only got about 15 hours of sleep. That is much below my usual, required 18 hours to keep looking fresh in Kofefe. Getting a great night's sleep is easier and more affordable than you think. You don't need a new expensive mattress or sleeping pills. You just need to change your sheets. And that's why you should check out Bowl and Branch. Now, uh, look, I've moved around a lot. Uh, since I live, grew up in New York, I went to school in Connecticut, I moved out here to LA. I always get new bedding and I always just buy the cheapest, whatever, you know, sandpaper that they sell at the dollar store. Uh, I didn't realize how nice sheets can be. Luxury sheets, though, can cost up to $1,000. I'm now realizing this as I register for wedding gifts. Some luxury bedding can cost $1,000 even more. Uh, in the store, but bowl and branch sheets are only a couple of hundred bucks. Everything bowl and branch makes from bedding to blankets is made from 100% pure organic cotton, which means they start out super soft and they get even softer over time. The way that they can have that huge uh, discount is you buy directly from them, so you're essentially paying wholesale prices. You don't have to go into the fancy store that's, you know, you got to drive to that or anything. you got to write from them. Everyone who tries bowl and branch sheets loves them. That's why they have thousands of five-star reviews. And Forbes the Wall Street Journal and Fast Company are all talking about Boland Branch. Even three U.S. presidents sleep on Boland Branch sheets. I'm not going to tell you which ones. Three U.S. presidents and one best-selling author of a book without any words in it. I t- that You could probably guess who the last one is. But three U.S. presidents sleep on those sheets, and you should too. Shipping is free, and you can try them for 30 nights, so there's no reason not to try it. Listen, for me, I told you, they don't pay me here, obviously, to come in, so all I get are the freebies sometimes. So look, 30 days of sheets, that that's pretty good, man. That's about as good as it gets. You'd be a fool not to try it. If you don't love them, you can send them back for a refund. You're not going to want to send them back I a- Tell you that there is no risk and no reason not to give it a try. To get started right now, don't say I never did anything for you. On this day where I'm slaving away, I got to watch the Oscars, I got to wake up early, I'm giving you a gift $50 off your first set of sheets at bowlandbranch.com, promo code Michael, M I C H A E L. That's not how they spell it, you know, at like coffee shops when you ask for your coffee. That is the correct way to spell it, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Go to bowlandbranch.com today for $50 off your first set of sheets. That is B-O-L-L and branch.com, promo code Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. All right, let's get right into this. A lot of craziness is going on in South Africa Oh, you haven't heard of it? You haven't heard of what's going on? I'm not that surprised. It's probably because the media don't cover this stuff at all because they'd much rather cover Donald Trump's tabloid thing from the 90s. The South African parliament voted last week to steal all of the white farmers' land. And guess how the economy reacted to that? Did not react very well. Banks are shocked by the move. It's going to cause serious panic. Uh, The agricultural industry obviously is faltering. International investors are now terrified of what will happen. It's deja vu all over again on that continent. We have seen this happen before. We have saw it happen in Zimbabwe not that long ago. In 2000, for some historical perspective, the Zimbabwean government proposed giving itself the constitutional power to steal land from white farmers without compensation. When that move failed, the pro-Mugabe Zimbabwe National Liberation War Veterans Association marched on white-owned farmland by 2002, this roving gang had killed the white farm owners on at least seven occasions, according to Human Rights Watch, and surprise, surprise, millions of black farmers were excluded from the redistribution. It's almost like when you start uh, subverting the law and having strong men go in and steal people's property, uh, it, the poor people won't benefit from that. People that it's ostensibly intended to help will not benefit. It hurt the people that this was intended to help dramatically, more on that later. Uh, The dictator of Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe, had given himself 15 farms by the end of all of this. Mugabe's deputy, number two, Simon Muzenda, gave himself 13 farms. Cabinet ministers held 160 farms. Parliamentarians held 150 farms. And the 2,500 war veterans who had marched on all these farms, do you know how many farms they received? They received two farms. 150, 160, 15, two. Uh, 4,500 landless peasant Africans, black Africans, received just three farms. The whole process displaced 200,000 black farm workers, left them homeless and without any means of supporting themselves. Farm production, you'll be shocked to hear, fell massively. It fell by over two-thirds in just five years. These once bustling farms. Zimbabwe was called the breadbasket of southern Africa. Bustling farms uh, ended up with a starving population. Tobacco, Zimbabwe's main agricultural export, collapsed. As a result, Zimbabwe's government was put on a credit freeze, which led to a major trade deficit. The economy collapsed. Hyperinflation took hold. You might remember this from a few years ago. It rendered Zimbabwean banknotes worthless. You could get bills for like a trillion dollars or something. I think you can still find them on eBay. People would, uh, Zimbabweans would put the bills in their hair or on their hats or something. It just didn't mean anything. They'd burn them. Hyperinflation hit 79.6 billion percent. with a B by November of 2008, and by 2015 Zimbabwe totally switched to the U.S. dollar as its currency because its own currency wasn't worth the paper it was printed on. Last November Zimbabwe finally learned its lesson and sacked Robert Mugabe. It took them a while, but they did it. Now, just as Zimbabwe learns its lesson, South Africa wants to copy that devastated country. In 2017, just last year, Julius Malema, the head of this party in South Africa, the leader behind this land grab, he said, we love Uncle Bob Mugabe. To help us make sense of all of this madness, of what has happened to Nelson Mandela's country of reconciliation and prosperity and the light of hope in Africa, to make sense of what happened from that country to this present madness, we bring on Lauren Southern, who has a new documentary she's just made about what's going on with the farmlands of South Africa. Here's just a clip from her footage.
1: I'm seeing special farmers. You don't get used to it. The torture that we find uh, have has been done on these farm murders are unbelievable. Uh, We found pieces of nails being pulled out. We found hands being removed from bodies. We found people raped, uh, brutally murdered, uh, babies, children, Uh, the farmers trying to protect their families and and there's just no stopping. Um, the, The farm murders are brutal. Lynn and I went to this um, farm murder scene uh, in the northwest and we came upon this beautiful uh, white house and everywhere you looked was blood splatter. Um, Since from from where you walked in there was blood against the curtains, the walls, the paintings, the floor and you could see uh, where two um, babies were murdered in the bathroom so they were they were definitely attacked while giving the babies a bath. One of them actually survived and crawled all the way from the bathroom. It was about two years old. Uh, crawled all the way from the bathroom to the main bedroom where the mom was murdered.
0: That is some pretty haunting footage and I, for, you know, I think maybe for people in my generation, people who don't remember Nelson Mandela, they don't realize how shocking this is. Uh, Nelson Mandela famously the head of the African National Congress, which uh, now has apparently supported this land grab, uh, he was jailed for decades for opposing apartheid. He was this martyr figure of apartheid. He was uh, criticized by people on the right for being a communist terrorist, as people on the right called him, and he was criticized from the left for being too conciliatory, for wanting too much reconciliation in uh, in his quest to unite. South Africa. But he did during his lifetime unite South Africa, was really considered to be the hope of that continent and a, and a, a real path forward out of colonization. And, and that's over now. That, that is clearly over now. His own party has turned on that spirit of reconciliation. And you, you don't see these reported in the news very much. You don't hear about the murders of the, on these South African farms. You don't hear about this land grab yet. I, I wonder why that is. That is a little strange. Uh, we will get Lauren on to talk about this. But before we do that, I, we've got it, you know, I, what I want to do is go from really just horrible, disturbing things in the show today to like nice things. So before we do that, before we get into it w- with Lauren, I I do want to talk about Blue Apron, a wonderful service that also keeps the lights on in this place and that I have been using quite a lot. Uh, t- we are t- talking about bread baskets, Blue Apron is a good place to start with that. It is the leading <laughs> it is the leading male, <laughs> me- you know, if you can't, if you can't laugh you're going to cry, so you got to just laugh about some of these things. Uh, Blue Apron is the leading meal kit delivery service in the United States. While many people know what we do, many don't know about the types of meals uh, you eat when you cook with Blue Apron. You're not just having burgers for dinner every night. I would never do that. I would throw plates at the wall. I'd go cry to lose it. You're making short rib burgers with a hoppy cheddar sauce on a bun. You're preparing seared steaks and thyme pan sauce with mashed potatoes, green beans and crispy shallots, all in under 45 minutes. It takes me a few hours, but for most people who are competent at this sort of thing, it takes 45 minutes and no trip to the grocery store. This is one of the finest aspects of this. I am a millennial. I will not leave my couch. I will not leave my chair. I will not go outside. If I can't get it on the computer, I don't want it, and this sends it directly to you. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Its mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. You know, living the bachelor lifestyle as I've done for many years, it's it's so tempting to just get some gross takeout thing and eat your sludge every night just to fill this machine, this flesh that we just treat as meat instead of as a dignified human body. Treat yourself. Make, come on. you Get the good food. Cook it. It's good. It builds character. It's a virtuous act, and then feed yourself good food. Uh, you can get three meal plans. Um, the two-person meal plan, meals that serve two people. You can choose from eight new recipes per week with the choice to receive either two to three recipes any week that serves two normal people or one gavone. Uh, the meal family meal plan that serves four people choose from four new recipes per week with the choice to receive either two three or four recipes any week again that serves four normal people or one. Gavone and the, and the wine plan, six bottles of wine from renowned winemakers delivered monthly. This is important. And I know what you're thinking, that one Gavone, six bottles monthly isn't going to cut <laughs> it, but, but you know, it's a good start. It is a good start. So, uh, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of really good, I've been eating this a lot recently. Again, they don't pay me uh, money here at the daily wire, so I have to eat what they send me. And it's really, really excellent food. Um, it's very convenient, very flexible, 12 new recipes a week. You're not going to get sick of it. Uh, customers can pick two, three, or four recipes. Uh, Blue Apron sends only non GMO ingredients and meat with no added hormones. Previously, in my previous dis- despicable bachelor life, I was actually only eating meat hormones. That's all I could afford. That's all <laughs> I could go, just eating the hormones that some co- corporations pump into the meat. Uh, so uh, it's uh, a really, I, I'm. Again, don't say I never did anything for you. Blue Apron is treating The Michael Knowles Show listeners to $30 off your first order. If you go to blueapron.com slash covfefe, this should not be a difficult decision for you. I'm giving you 30 bucks of free food that you don't even have to go to a store for. It just gets it delivered to you, So and you get to type in the greatest promo code in television history, blueapron.com slash covfefe, Check out this week's menu and get your $30 off. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Do I have Lauren on now? All right, Lauren, thank you for being here.
2: Hi there. Thanks for having me. I'm really wanting that wine now. I'm gonna have to go punch in that coat. It's real good. <laughs>
0: With promo code covfefe, covfefe, Now, Lauren, I have to say, you know, sometimes the audience gives me flack because they accuse me of flirting with my female guests or hitting on my female guests. But you, this, this shouldn't be as big of an issue because you are officially a man. Is that right? You have officially changed your gender to a man.
2: Yes, I legally changed my gender in Canada. So if you want to win over some of the progressive audience, you can throw a few lines my way. Hubba
0: hubba, be still my beating heart. Well, that's very, that is very progressive and a really excellent uh, story. If you haven't looked into Lauren changing her gender, you should look it up on the internet. It's very funny. Lauren, we just watched a clip from some of your footage in South Africa. What is going on in that country?
2: Where do you even begin? I went to South Africa in January just to investigate kind of whispers I heard about farm murders going on. There were supposedly discriminatory farm murders against the Afrikaner minority that were just brutal stuff. The
0: Afrikaners are the white people.
2: I ended up, yes yes they are the uh eight percent white population in south africa but i ended up going down this rabbit hole and discovering a myriad of government just absolutely biased laws against the Afrikaner people i discovered white squatter camps which are basically de facto refugee camps for white people in the country Uh, i discovered about laws called black economic empowerment which are basically reverse affirmative action so imagine if you could only hire Uh, 13% Blacks in a certain career in America because it has to be representative of the population. I think the uh, sports would get very boring in America. (laughs) But in South Africa, this has caused a lot of problems. A ton of white South Africans have been fired from their jobs to meet these quotas. It's caused for an absolute gutting of the energy sector. In fact, people have probably heard Cape Town is about to run out of water because of this the white South Africans are not just being murdered, but there's just been an announcement that the government plans to take their land without compensation. So things are just collapsing in on themselves. There's so many issues to talk about. You're going to have to pick one. <laughs> well,
0: what what has happened to the spirit of Nelson Mandela? You know, the, the right frequently pilloried Mandela for being a communist terrorist. And it, I think it's a little bit like the Mike Bloomberg effect. When Bloomberg was my mayor in New York, I would criticize him relentlessly because he wouldn't let me smoke cigars in the parks. But now looking back, now that we have de Blasio, I think like, man, those were the good old, Days. I didn't know. We don't know what we got till it's gone. Uh, you know, Mandela did ex- exude this apparent spirit of reconciliation. He was pilloried by both sides, the left and the right in South Africa, jailed for decades for opposing apartheid. Uh, what happened to that now that that guy is gone? What happened to his own party and what happened to his country?
2: So the ANC is still in power in South Africa. But of course, the reason we don't hear much about South Africa in the news anymore is because. What South Africa was supposed to exemplify was the progressive communist rainbow nation. And the left loved it. And they still tout this day, the rainbow nation is the most beautiful thing to ever have existed. But the reason we don't hear about it anymore is because the rainbow nation has failed. That is just a fact. The ANC has turned into a party that is not for equality, but has become quite openly anti-white. If their policies don't speak for themselves, uh, you can go and watch some of the videos of even the other parties in Parliament, the EFF, who have about 10% of control of the government, saying we should kill and shoot the boar, literally dancing on their stage and saying kill, shoot the white South Africans. This is the government of South Africa right now. It is not this progressive rainbow nation. And the Marxism hasn't done them much good either. You can see the Rand, since the ANC has brought in a lot of their Marxist policies, it has collapsed in value since the 90s. So, you're not going to hear much from the left about this. So it's really good to see, although I think a little late, as we've just started talking about South Africa, when the land crisis is now being enacted by parliament, uh, it's good to start seeing it in the conservative media, because this is going to ramp up into something far more serious in the coming years.
0: Well, I wonder, because the head of the EFF, has said that he wants to cut the throat of whiteness in South Africa. He he says he loves Uncle Bob Mugabe, but there were 80 some odd, I think 83, South African parliamentarians who voted against the land expropriation. Isn't that right? Now many more parliamentarians voted for it. Is there any hope that this doesn't happen, that that the, the minority of parliamentarians are able to bring some stability and sanity back to the country?
2: Right, of course. It's good to make a nod to those sane people who I'm sure are just HITTING THEIR FACE ON THEIR DESK RIGHT NOW LOOKING AT THINGS LIKE ZIMBABWE WHICH IF PEOPLE DON'T KNOW WHAT HAPPENED IN ZIMBABWE THEY KICKED OUT ALL THE WHITE FARMERS AND IT ENDED UP CAUSING A HUGE CRISIS THERE WITH uh, FOOD ISSUES PEOPLE STARVING THEIR ECONOMY COLLAPSED AND OF COURSE THAT WILL BECOME A PROBLEM IN SOUTH AFRICA AS WELL THE FARMERS THERE ARE DESPERATELY TRYING TO TRAIN THEIR WORKERS TO TAKE OVER THEIR JOBS AND TAKE OVER THE FARMS BUT YOU JUST CAN'T FILL THAT MANY SPACES SO QUICKLY SO I think there are at least some people within the media and within the government that realize that confiscating white land is not just going to be a problem for white people. It's going to be a problem for all South Africans, black, white, mixed alike. It's going to cause starvation. It's going to hurt the futures of young people in the country. And if enough people can start talking about that, showing what happened in Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe who are now inviting back the white farmers because they need help. hopefully there can be some change, but people have to start talking about it. We can't wait until it actually happens because the mainstream media I found waited until the land crisis was actually seen in parliament and passed. They waited for that last kind of moment. If we wait again until more drastic policies and laws happen, uh, then things might be far too late. It's amazing.
0: Even now, even now that the uh, South African parliament has voted to take away all the white farmland, you, when you look in Google News or you look in a lot of mainstream outlets, it won't come up. If you Google South Africa, you'll see sporting events and, and frivolous things like that. I, I wonder, you bring up Zimbabwe. Uh, obviously, black Zimbabweans did it terribly under that uh, expropriation regime. Mugabe and his cronies enriched himself dramatically. And the, the people who really paid the price were the millions of Uh, of black peasants basically who couldn't work and couldn't feed themselves and couldn't support themselves. There was a good op-ed out today about how land expropriation in South Africa is the same thing. It is primarily an attack on not just white uh, farm owners, but black South Africans who are going to be devastated when the starvation hits. Is there any... uh, is there any voice in South Africa or in the, in the international media who are pointing this out, that, that uh, it seems like it's an attack on white people, it seems like it's an attack on the original sin of that country, as the, the activists describe it, but really the people who are going to be hurt, as, as is so often the case, are the people it purports to help.
2: Well, this is the upsetting thing, is the media, and certainly within the mainstream, it rarely speaks the minds of the people. It speaks its own agenda and what it wants the people to think. And I remember sitting down when I was in South Africa with a woman from Zimbabwe. She was a very sweet lady. And she was telling me through quite emotionally that she didn't know what she was going to do after South Africa kicked out the white people because she had come to South Africa because of what happened in Zimbabwe. She came there to make money to send back to her family in Zimbabwe and she said, I don't know where there is to go next in Africa if they do the same thing here. That South Africa was her safe zone after the kicking out of whites. So so it's a, yeah, you're absolutely correct in that the victim are people of all skin colors. The victim of this is the whole nation in general.
0: Because the conservative argument is always that a rising tide lifts all ships, and we can see that not just in the U.S., but around the world. Capitalism lifted 600 million people out of poverty in China Mm -hmm. in something like a decade or two decades. Uh, But of course, the opposite is also true. A sinkhole is gonna sink everybody. It isn't just gonna sink one group of the kind, it's gonna destroy the country. And yet there's basically no reporting on the panic of international investors, the panic of the South African banks. Tell us a little bit more about your movie what's what's next for that um what what made you decide to do the project and where where and when can we see it
2: right so farmlands hopefully will be out within the next month i'm hesitant to give people a specific date because there's so much preparation that has to go into it the films always Uh, take about
0: six months longer than anybody says they will and an extra two hundred thousand dollars or something right
2: Precisely. But luckily on my channel, if you just look up on YouTube, Lauren Southern, you can find a ton of little mini series you watched a bit at the beginning, interviewing farmers themselves, interviewing politicians, uh, interviewing individuals who have been struck by the drought, by murder, by all these different crises, just to actually bring it to you. And to see, we hear a lot of statistics. And of course, there's that famous Joseph Stalin quote that is just horrific, where he says, One person's death is a tragedy. A million is simply a statistic. And for a lot of people, all they've seen is the statistics of farm murders. All they've seen is the numbers that this is happening at a horrific rate. But they haven't actually gotten to meet the people and realize these are humans just like me and you that are suffering through this crisis right now. And that's kind of what I hope to do with farmlands. I hope to humanize the Afrikaner people and show that they're not just these statistics, they're not these colonizer monsters as some people like to portray them. They just happened to be born on this land after their family had been there hundreds of years, but also to record what is going on in South Africa, because Lord knows if things get worse there, the media is not going to tell the truth. And I want there to be at least some record of what happened in South Africa so we can learn from kind of the mistakes, which hopefully we can fix things. But if not,
0: you, you I would want the think, truth to be out there. You would think we would have learned from Zimbabwe, but if, if mm. South Africa destroys itself as it looks like it is doing, then at least there will be a record and maybe we'll be able to stop the next country. Absolutely. Lauren, thank you. That was that was not only very educational, but you've really helped me out. You've bumped up my progressive credentials by being such an articulate, <laughs> official government recognized man on the program. I really appreciate it. Uh, Lauren Southern, everybody, go check out her YouTube channel and check out the movie whenever it comes out. Talk to you soon.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: All right. We've got to get to this day in history. Do we have to sign off first? Are you going to make me sign off before we do this day in history? Oh, that's so awful. This is a good this day in history. Speaking of colonial revolts, this is an excellent, a timely this day in history from what took place on this very Monday in 1770. But if you're not on DailyWire.com, you can't watch it. If you're on Facebook or YouTube, ha, ha, ha. If you're on Facebook, though, come over to DailyWire.com. Uh, it will be $10 a month or $100 for an annual membership. But what will you get? You will get the Andrew Clavin Show, the Ben Shapiro Show. You'll get me. You'll get the conversation, and you can ask Ben questions. He's the one who's up next. Now look, everybody can watch the conversation, but only the subscribers can ask questions. Many are called, but few are chosen. Yeah, you'll get all that, but who cares? Nobody cares about all that. We want to thank all of our current subscribers, and I know our current subscribers are going to make everybody very envious because they have this—the leftist tears tumbler, baby. Oh, this is so important. This, uh, this is going. This is the Jimmy Kimmel vintage because last night Jimmy he held it throughout most of the broadcast, he didn't cry. You knew he wanted to, but those Oscars ratings are gonna come out today. And then Jimmy Kimmel is gonna unleash an outrageous outpouring of tears, and you're gonna need your Tumblr if you wanna protect you and your family. It's really important. Go to dailywire.com right now. We'll be right back. It is time for This Day in History. In 1770, the American Revolution began five years before the shot heard round the world. Now, a lot of people don't know that. The event was the Boston Massacre. This was five years before Lexington and Concord uh, Bridge. Uh, uh, One cold night in Boston, angry colonists met at the Customs House in Boston, and they started tossing snowballs at the one lonely British soldier guarding that building. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're, we know this is the Boston Massacre, where the British shoot the American colonists, and it's just so awful, it's totally unprovoked, and the British shot everybody down. Colonists were not just throwing snowballs. This was not just a snowball fight in some elementary school that you have with your sister or something. Tension had been building for uh, two years. At this event, they were throwing rocks. They were really trying to hurt this guy and hurt the British. Uh, it, tension had built since the British troops were sent in 1768 to enforce unpopular parliamentary taxation. Even that isn't as simple as it sounds. We hear no taxation without representation. That isn't the whole story. The British crown expected the colonies to help pay for the French and Indian war. That was their war. It was fought in America. And, uh, So the British expect, the imperial overlords expected the colonies to help pay for that. Americans at this time were not some horribly oppressed people. They had the highest average disposable income in the world. Per capita annual incomes were $2,100 to $3,500. Nearly the same as the British across the pond. The British had a slightly higher per capita annual income, but when you take into account the lower tax rates, American colonists paid a much lower tax rate, the colonists were living very large. On top of that, the American colonists had more land, they had greater availability of food and wood, both of which were much cheaper in America than in Britain. Also in America, population density was low. America had higher birth rates and it had lower death rates. And so in America, unlike in Britain, you had a 3% population growth per year. This is an exploding country. Americans also were taller, thanks to better nutrition and healthcare than their British uh, counterparts. The average height of an American colonial soldier was five foot eight, uh, which is two inches taller than their British counterparts. You can picture that in in the battles. You know, the Americans are just bigger, brawnier guys than the British and the redcoats that they were fighting. Nevertheless, colonists were rightly angered by what they saw as the wrongful British occupation of their city. So already, we're seeing a breaking away of the American identity from that of Britain. They viewed the British troops who were there as occupiers of of their city. Paul Revere never said the British are coming, the British are coming, because that would have been nonsense. Everybody was British. Everybody considered himself British, except that the identities were diverging just a little bit the, the Americans had, had been here for 400 years. The, the Pilgrims landed in 1620. The, so they'd, pardon, they'd been, they had been here for 400 years. They'd already been there for over a century, uh, exploring this country, forming a new culture, forming a new country. They were separatists, the Pilgrims who left. They did choose to leave Britain. And these new cultures were, were forming. So the Friday before the massacre, British soldiers uh, were looking for part-time work And they brawled with Boston laborers at uh, John Hancock's wharf. This was three days before the Boston Massacre. Tension was already brewing. They were fighting each other. This brawl grew to include 40 soldiers, which actually forced their colonel, William Dalrymple, to confine them to their barracks. This was pretty violent and so much so that an order had to come down from the Brits. Everybody knew that tensions were going to flare up again on Monday. This didn't come out of nowhere. It had been building for two years, but especially it had been building over the weekend. They basically respected the Sabbath. Then the weekend was over. They said, "Bring it on." Uh, the customs house uh, sentinel called for backup, and uh, the customs house sent, sentinel rather called for backup, and they brought a British corporal and seven soldiers to his aid. Now, two of those people that came to his aid had previously brawled on that Friday. Captain Thomas Preston told the redcoats to fix their bayonets. Rocks getting thrown. Snowballs being thrown. The British there fix their bayonets. The colonists are jeering them. They're saying, fire on us. We dare you. They're not gonna, there's no way you're going to fire on your colonists. Ain't going to happen in Boston. Until Private Hugh Montgomery slipped. Private Hugh Montgomery slipped. He fell. He accidentally discharged his rifle. He didn't fire it at the Americans. He just, just fired, just went off. This led all of the other British to fire. They fired on the colonists. When smoke cleared, five colonists were dead or dying. Those men were Crispus Attucks, Patrick Carr, Samuel Gray, Samuel Maverick, and James Caldwell. A lot of people now believe that the first person to fall in the Boston Massacre was Crispus Attucks, who is a sailor of African and Indian ancestry. Say a, a black American was the first guy to fall in what was the early stage of the Revolutionary War. Uh, that's how the story evolved. There's actually no evidence that he was the first to go down. He was certainly one of the first five, though. That goes without saying. Um, These were the first deaths, and they're considered the first deaths, of the American Revolution. So what happened after that? British soldiers were put on trial in the colonial system. Who defended them? John Adams and Josiah Quincy Jr. defended them. John Adams, you might remember, was the second president of the United States. Nevertheless, he defended them. Uh, Josiah Quincy Jr. was actually the spokesman for the Sons of Liberty in Boston, the radical group, the radical independence group. They both defended them because they defended the colonial system of government and they defended the rule of law. Uh, Edmund Burke in Reflections on the Revolution in France, uh, juxtaposes the American Revolution and the French Revolution. And the French Revolution went crazy and it was a leftist revolution. But the American Revolution was a conservative revolution. And we see the seeds of that even here. So two of the six soldiers were, who were tried were found guilty of manslaughter. Their punishment was being branded on the thumb and then released. It's not a tough punishment, getting branded on the thumb, I guess. But uh, that, that was the only punishment. This was the first shot of the American Revolution. We hear about the shot heard around the world at Lexington and Concord. Really, this was the first one, and it happened six years before the Declaration of Independence and five years before those early battles. Uh, Nothing about this event is clear, as I hope I've explained, except for the need for American independence. The guilt isn't really clear who started It It isn't totally clear who was in the right to occupy or levy the tax or to pay the tax. Not totally clear, but the need for American independence was. Uh, Colonists were rightly angry that their self-governing city was being occupied. They were basically self-governing and had been for a long time. They were angry at being taxed without representation. They were angry that British soldiers were competing in the labor market. And the crown expected colonists to foot some of the bill for their own war. And the crown saw that Americans were living large on British protection. And the British soldiers were being pelted with rocks just for standing guard and doing their job. American independence was coming. Uh, These seeds were sown into the founding of the country. There there was this separate uh, entity, this American character that was being built. We see it very early on and here we're seeing it flourish. It's much easier to say those were bad people and these were good people and these were oppressing them and these were not oppressing them. The reality of it is different, the historical context is different. actually gives one some reason to maybe have some empathy for King George III, who the, the American Revolution began before he read the Declaration of Independence or something like that. And uh, when George Washington ceded his military commission, George III called him the greatest man in the history of the world. Now we have a special relationship with uh, Britain, and that has built for a very long time. Even though they kept trying to invade War of 1812, they kept trying to give us trouble. We fought them back, though. They're you know We're brawny Americans. We have two inches on those guys. So... Uh, <laughs> That, that was built into the character, but looking at the historical uh, context of the United States, you see just in that character, independence was it was our future. It was our destiny. We were going to people this continent. We were going to story this continent. It was built into the American experiment, and I think when people view it, view that moment and view our country's character with less of an ideological a take on it, with less of a rigid, narrow ideology, and they look more into the character of what makes America, America. You see all of that flourishing and blossoming for what it is, and hopefully we get to keep doing that. We don't just go all the way down into our decadent slump, but if watching Jimmy Kimmel on the Oscars last night, I don't know, maybe that tempers our hope a little bit. In any case, that is our show today. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Come back tomorrow. We'll do it all again. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Overa. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.